Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Melissa, and with me as always is Mandy. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing? Uh, I have a cold. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Mandy's a little under the weather, but we are going to persevere and push through. And because it's not me, we'll keep going and won't quit. Yeah. Your your voice is still as buttery as always. (laughs) (laughs) Buttery is what you always want to hear. So tonight we were going to talk to you about the case of... Rebecca Zahau. Um, she is an interesting case, as all of ours are. And this comes to us from a friend on the old Twitter who suggested this case, um, our friend Megan over there. And uh, this is one that you've probably heard a little bit about. I remember, I mean, I'm somewhat familiar with this case before we really looked into it and thought it was strange and weird. But once you deep dive into this, it's a whole lot of crazy whole lot of crazy. A whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll give you a small little bit of bio on Rebecca and then pass it over to Mandy. Um, So Rebecca was born on March 15th, 1979 in Falam, Burma. Um, She grew up with three sisters, her mom and dad, and they relocated to the U.S. I'm not sure of exactly when that happened. Um, And then Mandy will continue. So she moved to the U.S. and... um, I believe she was married prior to the relationship she was in when she passed away. Um, 
and then they got divorced. Actually, I believe she started dating Mr. Jonah Shacknai before she was actually officially divorced. Yeah. So at the time of her death, she was 32 years old, uh, living with Jonah Shacknai, who was um, a pharmaceutical CEO for a company, um, Medici's pharmaceutical company. Um, and they lived together at his beach house in Coronado, California, along with Jonah's six-year-old son, Max, from a previous marriage. Um, Jonah Shacknai at the time was, a, was 54 years old and had two divorces under his belt with three children between those two marriages. His first marriage ended in a three-year custody battle over their two children. Right. And then Max was born to Jonah's second wife, Dina. And there was some things I read online that suggested that their marriage was actually full of not so good stuff, like some domestic violence on both sides and kind of just seemed like not a great relationship. Yeah. So two days uh, prior to Rebecca's death, she was at home at the mansion with her 13-year-old sister, Zena. And Zena was actually visiting, had just gotten into town like the day prior uh, from Missouri. And Max Shacknai was home as well. And that's the six-year-old son of Jonah. Correct. Um, and so somehow Max managed to fall over a second-floor banister in the mansion, which, by the way, guys, this is like a huge mansion. I saw pictures of it, and yeah. I think I read some outrageous number of bedrooms. I don't even want to say what it was now, but it was something like 16. It's basically insulting to everyone else how many right. <laughs> so whenever you say second floor, it's like second floor, real housewives of Orange County, right? glamour, you know, chandeliers everywhere insane house right the kind of place i probably would go and just not want to sit down or touch anything because i would just be way too uncomfortable because it's too too high class for me the kind of place i wouldn't be allowed to go into so good for you they would just stop you at the door you're you're obviously not part of this (laughs) so um as i said unfortunately max somehow went over the banister of that second floor and suffered spinal cord injuries as well as injuries to his head and facial bones and um he did not immediately pass away, but he did, um, have some problems with his heart rate and his breathing and, um, was taken to the hospital, you know, by paramedics after 911 was called. Um, so we went from zero deaths last week right, to two deaths this week. Correct. Double dose. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And this, even though this podcast is really about Rebecca Zahow, this information about Max, you'll see that it's Super relevant important. and very important mm-hmm. to this story. Um, and we could probably do a whole other podcast just on Max, Jack yeah. and I, from the information I was looking at and, um, you know, still have a lot of material there. So maybe in the future sometime we'll have to delve a little bit more into Revisit. Max. Yes. Um, so Rebecca said that she was in the bathroom at the time that this accident occurred, and uh, she heard a loud crashing noise and, of course, came out and found Max laying on the bottom floor um, with his Razor scooter and a bunch of pieces of chandelier that were broken all around him. And uh, she, like I said, she called up for her sister, Zena to dial 911, which she did around, I think they said it was around 10, 10 in the morning. And the paramedics arrived just a couple of minutes later, and Max was unresponsive and taken to a children's hospital. Um, So, unfortunately, Max did die on July 16th, 2011, and it was due to brain damage caused by oxygen deprivation. And his death was ruled an accident, but there was a trauma doctor who examined him before he died that said that he thought Max actually may have suffocated before his fall. So, that's kind of where... 
you know, things do get a little bit questionable with Max's death, but yeah. the official cause of death, it was ruled an accident. Yeah. And there's lots of theories on what exactly happened to him because, first of all, typically you don't ride a razor in a house, but... Who? Who doesn't? Yeah, I know. My kids ride well, scooters and trikes and all kinds of I stuff know. inside. The, the idea is not to do that. So it was a little... There's I've read stuff that it could have been a staged sort of situation. But then if you read further, they'll talk about there being like, I think, paint peeling on part of the razor from the banister. It so, was on like the wheel of the razor, which right. of course is an odd part of the razor to be on the banister. Like, yeah, airlifted. Right. Yeah. So it was the, if you watch the uh, recreations of the accident, um, I think the police officer, I'm sorry, the sheriff's department put that together. The way that they think it happened as an accident is really like one in a billion chances. But to me, I don't know, it makes more sense than something sinister with this poor little six-year-old. I don't know. I'm not buying that, any of those kind of theories at this point. I agree. Like I said, there would be a whole entire show we could do just on his death. Um, well, there wasn't as much, I think. The controversy, it seems like a really accidental thing that happened controversy around it, but it still feels like what happens next gets a lot like what on earth has happened? What's going on in this house is what you want to know. Right. So the following day, which is July 12th, Rebecca takes um, her sister back to the airport and is going to send her back on a plane to go back home. She was supposed to be in town for two weeks, but of course in light of this terrible accident with, you know, her boyfriend's son is critically injured in the hospital um you know she just probably thought it was better to go ahead and send her sister back home so that she could be with you know max and the family and you know just do what she needed to do in that situation um so she took the sister to the airport and then while she was there she picked up uh jonah shackney's brother adam and he came into town from memphis tennessee um and I, I allegedly he had come to help um, his brother in the wake of Max's accident. Right. So, I mean, Can that's... we talk about his line of work? Because yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this was even a thing, to be honest. My son would love to do this one day. But he was a, or is, a tugboat captain. A tugboat captain. <laughs> that is a very specific type <laughs> of captain. I, I, yeah, that just seems like what a little kid would write down on their first day of school. Like, I want to be a tugboat captain. And he lived his dreams. Still a piece of crap man, but he lived his dreams. <laughs> so at this point, Rebecca's picked up Adam. She's gone to, I maybe she's gone to the hospital. I don't know if they ever actually said that she went to visit him at the hospital. I don't think she did. Yeah. Understandable, I guess, because there are a lot of questions surfacing about what happened. And she's just the girlfriend, too. Yeah. So I'm sure Max's mother would really not be thrilled yeah. to have her showing up at the Hi, hospital. were you watching my son when he died and now you're in the hospital? Get out. Yeah. Right. Totally agree. So Rebecca, John, and Adam ate dinner at McDonald's. And then, uh, which no hate on McDonald's, love McDonald's. Mandy got us some McDonald's on her way here tonight. I did. (laughs) We're living the dream. And um, so then Rebecca and Adam, so um, Adam's the brother, they returned to the beach house. Um, There were reports that night later from the neighbors that there was loud music playing. um, And even that there was a scream for help, I read. Um, 
the loud music doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you're grieving and going through this. Like who was having a party Yeah, that it's night. not a party. Um, and you'd think that, especially if you're under any kind of suspicion or they're there's questions about what's going on. You're going to be low key, laying low, you know, answering cops questions, whatever. So yeah, there's lots of loud music. And then again, somebody said they heard a female screaming. Um, during that time, Jonah is at the hospital, supposedly at his son's bedside. Um, his ex-wife, Dina Romano, um, is there as well. So Jonah actually leaves the hospital at some point and goes to take a break at the Ronald McDonald, Ronald McDonald house near the hospital. I have questions about that too. I have questions about everything. I do too. But so this is a man who I actually had read, um, of course he's a multimillionaire. He's a CEO of this Medici's pharmaceutical company. And, um, I had, I was trying, I was just curious about what his income was, you know, around that time. And I really couldn't find anything solid except for, um, there was one thing I found that said that in 1998, um, with his previous wife, right. he had filed a tax return that showed his income to be almost $17 million. So to be fair, that was mine last year as well. Right. In my dreams. <laughs> Very that typical. I every night. <laughs> um, so this is a man, of course, who has a lot of money. So right. I understand that the Ronald McDonald house is yeah. a service to right. people, you know, families in need like right. that. Um, but if Jonah they're all Shack driving was around. not in need, a he could yeah. definitely, and, and you would think that a man of his, you know, stature right. would just want to get like a hotel room or something. Yeah, yeah. So you know the whole thing about him that is weird leaving to go to the Ronald McDonald House and all that. I don't know. Um, to, you know, it it seems not weird if you just at face value take right. it, but then the details of this case go on and on, and then you're kind of like, well, you know, that is kind of weird that he would do that instead of either going home or getting a nice hotel room nearby right. the hospital where he would have his own private yeah. space and, you know, have his own, be able to do his own thing. Well, to be honest, you'd also think that there would be a chance, no hate on anybody, but if he didn't have anything else going on, that you would stay at your child's bedside. You're getting this terrible news. I understand you need a break, but if this is day one, this isn't a three month down the road, you need right. a break. So, but I don't know. His ex-wife was there and she was a little loony as we, <laughs> we thought. So maybe he just couldn't take it anymore. So take that as however you want. <laughs> so, um, so that was that for the night of July 12th. Um, everybody is now accounted for. Rebecca and Jonah's brother are at the mansion doing who knows what. And, and there's a guest um, house that he's actually staying in because, of course, there's a guest house. Of course there is. I'm, I house. would be surprised if there was only one guest yeah. house. Um, so, okay. So now we're up to um, the next day, which is July 13th. Uh, at 6.48 a.m., Adam Shackney calls 911 to report that he had found uh, Rebecca Zahau hanging from a balcony. Um, it, it was one of the bedrooms that had a balcony attached right. um, in the mansion. And... Uh, she was naked with her hands and feet bound with a red rope um, and very elaborate ties around both her wrists and ankles. Right. Um, and she had a, a long sleeve blue T-shirt tied around her head and stuffed into her mouth as if she was gagged or whatever you want to call it. Um, there was also some tape residue found on her legs that was never really further investigated, um, as we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, so after he called 911, he... 
apparently cut down the body. This is what he says. He cut them down, cut her down before paramedics or anybody arrived. So keep that in mind going forward as we continue talking about this, that um, anytime you look up this story, it tells you that Rebecca Zahau was found hanging. Yeah. Well, really... We don't know if she's found hanging. That's just what Adam Shackney, the only person present, right. said was the case. And um, But when the paramedics and police arrived, she was already on the ground. Yeah. Had supposedly been cut down already at that point. Um, at this point, you should be putting on your tinfoil hats with us because yes. we're going to go real <laughs> deep here. Yeah, there's plenty of room for, for going down a really deep rabbit hole with this one. And, um, and I did, for yeah. sure. <laughs> I spent many hours just reading all over the internet and... Just trying to make sense of all of this. And the, it's always crazy when a lot of theories make sense. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. know. <laughs> um, so the paramedics arrived and attempted to revive her, but she was pronounced dead there at the scene. Um, investigators, when they were going through to collect evidence and searching through the house and in the room where she had supposedly jumped to her death, um, they found a very strange note painted in black paint on right. the door leading to that bedroom. And um, the note read, she saved him. Can you save her? What? That makes zero no, sense. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Where? What do you even gather from that? That's... I, it makes no sense. And Rebecca's family members said that that was not her handwriting. So in fairness, if I painted something, it's not my regular handwriting. You're right. painting with a brush. So right. that argument from them didn't make a lot of sense. But it made more sense to say, that's the craziest thing I've ever read. She wouldn't have written that. Also, she didn't save him. So what's happening here? Right. And um, and like, why is it written in the third person? Like, why would yeah, she yeah. write it? you know, in the third person or even, you know, even if it was a murder, that still doesn't really make, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really make a ton of sense. Typically when there's a suicide though, and somebody's feeling remorse or something, they're going to leave something that says either, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I couldn't save them or please forgive me or something, but not this like random it's I like a riddle know. that you're yeah. leaving behind. Oh my goodness. We right. don't need this on top of this case. You don't need a riddle in the middle right. of it. So did you happen to listen to the 911 calls from Adam? I listened to the, yeah, I listened to the one that he called that morning. And I mean, I could barely get past all the heavy breathing, yeah. first of all. <laughs> he is not a man. You, well, that is a big house. You know, honestly, it could have been a little rough to get around. I mean, but where was he going? Yeah, <laughs> like, that's not clear. But he, he... He didn't know the address. He did not know the address, which... Okay, whatever. But he didn't know her name. He never said Rebecca. He said her. There's a woman hanging from the balcony. Really, buddy. Like, I'm sure the conversation is, how did this happen on Rebecca's watch? What was going on with Rebecca? You couldn't figure out her name. In a five-minute call, he had to have said she or her 10 times, but never had a personal touch with it. You know, by just saying her name, it makes it more... I don't know. Personal. Less, less sketchy to me, <laughs> yeah. really, that you care about this person. He was like, the 911 operator was irritated that he did not know the address. She was not having that today. And he was irritated that he didn't know the address. It was a lot of drama right in that call. It really was. And then I, I, there was one of the, we're in some, we follow like several of the podcast groups on Facebook right. and try to interact on there, um, not just with fellow podcasters, but also with listeners. And I saw, 
either yesterday or it was sometime earlier this week, but there was um, a post somebody had asked, like, don't you get so annoyed sometimes listening to the 911 calls calls because, um, you know, you know, you know, the operators have to try and stay level headed and calm and get the information that they need. But sometimes it does come across like they're being very like non-urgent about getting the information. And that was one of the things in this case with the call, you know, she was like, well, I can't help you until you tell me the address. Like, you know, like like, she's holding her candy and her kid wasn't doing his homework or something. You're like, what? My mom was a 911 operator a little bit when I was younger. And that just seemed like the most stressful job in the world. You have to know so much and you're transferring information and all of that. But whenever you're telling somebody, somebody's hanging from a balcony, like, how do we not have GPS to figure out where that calls from right. coming from? How can you not figure it out like immediately? I know, yeah. I agree. And um, why can't you say my brother's really rich? Can you just Google this, please? We'll right, Google where we live. Right. Well, I've actually had to call nine one one recently, not because of any like real emergency, but there was a vehicle on fire in front of my house. But you know, I, it happens. Yeah, we're in Florida. Yeah, it was a little <laughs> scary. But uh, when I called, they actually gave me kind of the runaround. I mean, like they answered and didn't even. I mean, the first thing they asked, like, "Oh, do you need fire, medical, or, yeah, or police?" And I said, uh, "I need fire." And she's like, okay, let me transfer your call. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah. Don't you have, like, I know. can't you, like, get the fire truck on the way yeah. on your own? <laughs> Could you just start this and then come back to it? I called one time about some homeless men I saw fighting under a bridge. Well, I'm terrible with directions. So as they're like, I was so upset about it and I felt terrible because they were just beating the bag out of each other. And the 911 operator asked where it was. And I was like, oh, it's under such and such bridge. Well, it actually wasn't. It was under a bridge like five miles in the other direction. So if there's an emergency, you do not want me on the scene. I will not be able to help you. Not if we're counting on you to give directions. No. If there's a 7-Eleven nearby or a Chick-fil-A, I can tell you all those kind of things. But don't try and tell me roads, north, south, east, west. I don't think so. (laughs) Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. 
Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So the police had forensics and toxicology testing done on Rebecca's body, of course, as part of her autopsy. Right. Um, But on September 2nd, that same year, um, her death was formally announced as a suicide. So even with all these weird, weird circumstances, um, they're saying that she definitely committed suicide. So what they're alleging here is that she tied herself up, stuffed her own mouth with a T-shirt and tied it around her head, and somehow with her hands tied behind her back in these intricate knots, managed to hop her way over, you know, to rig up this whole thing. Like there was, um, allegedly the rope was tied around a bed that was in the room. (laughs) (laughs) And I like rolled my eyes too. (laughs) Allegedly. Uh, she had supposedly tied this rope around this bed and this elaborate like thing and then hopped her way over to the balcony and I guess flung herself off head first. Also, from what they say, yeah. she just dove Thought off she the was balcony. Bungee jumping? It doesn't make sense, right? Well, here's how I know this wasn't a suicide. They found her naked. If you are a woman and you're going to kill yourself, I do not want to be found like that. I'm going to have on like winter clothes, as many layers as possible, and then maybe like glamour shots right before, so I look really good for my casket. But you will not find me naked. If you find me naked, something has gone wrong. Right. Everything is going wrong. And I um I apologize for not knowing the exact sort we read so many things on these cases. This was a rabbit and it hole. all gets just mixed up in your brain. But on something I read, I'm not sure if it's 125% credible, but um it's not. someone <laughs> said that um Rebecca actually had some body issues that she had suffered with oh, yeah. before. Mm-hmm. So that like they also were saying that it was very unlikely that she would have intentionally stripped down and like did that you know which like you said for any woman really it just really seems Mm -mm. bizarre to like completely get naked and and yeah it just doesn't really add up playboy as you jump off a balcony right goodness sake so during the police investigations they obtained warrants for rebecca's cell phone records and of course took the phone into evidence right um which i think is just pretty much standard procedure just for them to gather as much information as possible about what happened in the hours leading up to this. Right. Um, and those records did show that from roughly 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., she was talking and texting with her older sister, Mary. And Mary was confirming that the younger one, Zena, who had gotten on a plane... Um, who is not a warrior princess, which is very right. exciting. <laughs> um, but Zena had made it home safely. And uh, at about 10.48 p.m., Nina, who is the twin sister of Max's mom, Dina. So... Right. Try to keep this clear. I'm doing this weird hand motion because yeah. I have one side Dina, one side Nina. Dina is Max's mother. Nina is her twin sister. Can I tell you who Dina and Nina remind me of? <laughs> Do you watch 90 Day Fiance? I don't watch People. anything. <laughs> okay. You have to watch 90 Day Fiance, the new whatever, before the 90 days. There is a lady named Darcy and her sister named Stacy, and they both 
look a little rough, but they apparently looked better a few years ago. <laughs> That's what they look like. If you like true crime, a lot of time you like tra- trash TV as well. So I think there's somebody that's getting my reference. Is that a thing? Those two go together? Yeah, I think, well, I do it, so I assume everyone does. So anyway, if you need a visual, it's Darcy and Stacy, or Nina and whatever her name is, Dina. Dina. <laughs> and please stop naming your kids, twin kids rhyming names. It's terrible for them. It's like a perpetual like matching outfit for twins, yeah, for but life. you can't get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've named your kids that, I'm sure it's great and sorry. Okay. Okay. So at 1048, Nina sends Rebecca a text message, basically just saying that she wants to stop by the house to speak with Rebecca about Max's accident. Sure. This is late at night. Okay. Um, Rebecca did not respond to this message, which personally I wouldn't either because things are very raw and emotional at this time. And there is absolutely zero chance that I'm going to let this child's aunt come to my house at 11 o'clock at night yeah. when I'm sure they all want my head on a stick as it is. Absolutely. And so I would just ignore it as well. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't really surprise me that yeah. she did not answer that message. No. Um, but a few hours later at 12.50 in the morning on July 13th, so this is technically the day you she know died. she died mm-hmm. a few hours after this, um, there was um, an indication on the phone records that she checked her voicemail, mm-hmm. but the billing records don't show who left that message, which I'm a little confused by. Yeah, because I would think that like all the numbers that are incoming, even if it went to voicemail, you would still know this is the number that called it would right be before. missed or something, right? right? So that doesn't... I Unless you're on the phone, hold on. <laughs> Unless you're on the phone when you call somebody and it goes right to voicemail, does that still happen? Or is that house phones? We I, all have call waiting now. Right. Okay. I went back to 1992. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, so the message was deleted by Rebecca herself. So there's only speculation on what that voicemail said that she listened to at 12.50 in the morning. Right. So they, um, the police were not able to hear the message, but I guess for some odd reason they feel like it's true enough to tell um, the family members that what that message was was from Jonah Shacknai telling Rebecca that his son Max was not going to be expected to make it. Right. Um, and that his condition had worsened and they were preparing for the worst at right. this point. Um, again, there's no proof that that's what the message said. Not a soul has heard that message because Rebecca herself deleted it. So... Well, this reminds me of another case, which is the Making a Murder Stephen Avery case. Where I the, love that case. Okay. So we're on the same page. Remember when the ex-boyfriend, like, goes into her phone? What's her face's phone? The main girl. Teresa? Yes. Goes into her phone and listens to and deletes some messages. And uh-huh. so then they're gone and nobody can do anything about it. Telephone companies, cell phone companies do better. Have a backup. Right. Can we do something? I know. And I mean... Kind of a slippery slope, Melissa. <laughs> but if they get a warrant, I don't I want really it. want all of my messages and what kind of messages are you stored? leaving people? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, we joke all the time, like delete my search history, oh, delete all of my texts. Like yeah. definitely our, you know, chat on Facebook. You better delete all that uh, before Messenger. anybody sees any. Of I'll be that. in prison before the night's over. <laughs> so Rebecca's autopsy results were pretty perplexing, confusing. Um, They revealed four separate instances of head trauma, uh, which investigators expressed various theories over where they came from. The San Diego medical examiner stated, quote, because there was evidence that she went over the balcony in a non-vertical position, she may have stuck her head on the balcony, struck her head on the balcony on the way down. 
That makes zero sense. No. She was like free falling from this balcony, uh, allegedly. It doesn't make any sense. Um, So forensic consultant and criminal psychologist Maurice Godwin, which if you follow Up and Vanished, true crime podcast, uh, the story of Tara Grinstead, you know Maurice. You know his accent. You know everything about him. You love him. He was like my favorite part of the whole thing. Um, So he was doubtful of the theory, stating that the chances of bumping into the railing, going over the balcony, and hitting your head four times is highly unlikely. Which it is. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) Yeah, I would have liked to get that consultant money just to tell them that. Um, So Rebecca's family was also suspicious of the fact that her hands and feet were bound. Again, duh. Right. Um, Her hands were tied behind her back in a very specific type of nautical knot. Um, as well as the um, all of the knots being tied on the rope being very complex knots. And again, our boy Adam, not our boy, can't stand this dude. No. He was a boop, boop. Tugboat. <laughs> <laughs> I might edit that out. He was a tugboat <laughs> captain. So these, if you watch, we'll, we'll post on our um uh, under this uh, sort of the the video links, but you have to see this reenactment of these knots. These are not like basic Boy Scout knot, knots either, right? They're like... And let me tell you, the, the most complicated knot I can do is a double knot on a shoelace, okay? <laughs> like, I cannot... I say that There's too. no way. If someone even told me to like tie up a boat, I mean, they would not want me to do it because it would float no. away from the dock, okay? I yeah. cannot tie those types of knots. I'd be like, can I just hold it? I, I can hold it better than this. Yeah, so it's the most complicated knot. So basically, she would have to do this elaborate knot, butt naked, around her arms. In the front. In the front. She would have to do it in the front first. And then slip an arm out, crawl over it, step over it, naked again. Right. And then move her other hand in there. Oh, oh but she would have to do it after I don't know her how. legs are tied. After her legs are already tied, so she would have to do like What a, kind of balance do you have? Right. No. It Nobody. just there's literally no possible way. Well, I guess that's possible because the police did determine that it was quote unquote possible. There she goes with those air fingers. But again. <laughs> just because something is possible doesn't mean that's the truth of the right. matter. It just means like, okay, we tried this out and yeah, it's possible, but yeah. it's still highly unlikely. Yeah. So Manny's very not with that. <laughs> but yeah, so it. if you watch, first of all, watch the video because all I could think is if somebody asked me, hey, Melissa, why don't you tie all these knots? Um, we're going to videotape you um, doing all these things and just stand here for a minute. <laughs> Tell them no. Don't do that. Have somebody else do it. You're being conned and <laughs> you're next to die. Don't do this. So there was also um, a small amount of blood found on Rebecca's legs, and the forensic pathologist said that it was either menstrual blood or bleeding from, like, an intrauterine device. Um, but he didn't offer any explanation for that tape residue that I mentioned. Right. So um, about the blood from the legs, you know, I kind of said that I thought that was a little odd to Melissa earlier today, and she kind of pointed out that, you know, maybe if she was – having that time of the month, that wouldn't be that unusual. Yeah. Um, well, and it, also, yeah, like we were talking about you, they talk about when somebody's died that their bodily functions kind of happen. Just, just happen. Right. Yeah. So it wouldn't be so unusual that that, to me, that. But again, that if she perfect. was on her monthly cycle, it we're seems delicate. very odd that she would strip down naked, have absolutely no like, protection for lack of a better word right and then do this i i don't know i'm just we are not team suicide i'm not team suicide if that's not clear by now 
Yeah. I'm not. We're, we're not buying this. Um, so on September 7th, uh, the private forensic consultant, Maurice Godwin, told a reporter that Rebecca's suicide was staged and that, it, in his opinion, someone had dazed her, essentially, with um, some blows to the back of the head and then tossed her over the balcony. Right. So this is the theory that I personally subscribe yeah. to. Um, it makes the most sense to me. Yeah. And I don't understand how her death can be ruled a suicide given these other strange things that just... Don't you know, add up. Right. And you can't simply write off things like four, you know, blows to the head yeah. as irrelevant because obviously they're irrelevant. You know, something happened to her and it wasn't just that she hit her head on, you know, yeah, on, the, on way the way down. down. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so her body was actually, um, the family had her body, her family had her body exhumed and a second autopsy performed. And the results of that were that it was unlikely that she died from hanging. What? So this is really interesting because the whole time I was already thinking this, I was already thinking, you know, oh my gosh, Adam just says that he cut her down right. before the police arrived. And to me, it was already a little bit weird that we're yeah. just taking Adam's, you know, like right. I said, who's the only person there and, you know, you're taking his story as the truth. Right. And um, so whenever I read that, that, the second autopsy result, and this was of course done from a private an independent, um, an independent right. Mm-hmm. Not from the state or, you know, the police didn't assign this. Um, so they said that um, it was unlikely that she died from hanging at, because her neck was not fractured in any way. And I'm not an expert on what bones look like in certain types of deaths, but um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it would make sense to me that there would be some, you know, classic things that you would see with different manners of death that you would see across the board and be like, yep, that's definitely a sign of that, you know? So there was nothing like that. Um, the attorney, Keith Greer told reporters that the type of injury was actually more consistent with a strangling type of death. Mm -hmm. So this is where, um, you know, to me, I just feel like the evidence is stacking up and the fingers are being pointed directly and squarely on Adam Shacknai because now we have this rope, which I also read that was a, actually a special type of rope that was really used for water sports, like what right. you would attach a tube to a back of a boat with to do tubing or whatever. So hey, Anthony Curcio could have right. been a part of this. <laughs> so, you know, it does seem a little bit odd that that type of rope was used and right. just so happens there's a tugboat captain yeah around. if you if you look at any of the pictures not like the death pictures because i can never handle that but they showed like pictures of the rope and stuff it's it's a serious rope and if she is so overwhelmed like the idea that uh, jonah's family's kind of putting out there is that she became so overwhelmed with what she had allegedly done to this poor little boy that she decides to kill herself basically Within an hour, I think is what they thought. Within an hour, an hour and a half, they assume that's when she actually died. So they're saying that she came up with this plan, executed it, has no background in... I think her sister said they might not have even really went swimming when they were little. Like, no water, sports, water, whatever. She's not a tugboat captain, for sure. And I would like to know if they checked her Google, because that would be the (laughs) thing I always do. I Google everything. They did. Oh, they found, they did. They searched. Um, I was going to talk about that later. They did search the computer inside, um, the computers that were inside of the mansion and there was no search result with hits for anything like 
um, hanging or how to tie knots or um, any of those number of things. Like they, of course, looked for certain key terms and there was absolutely zero searches that would be related to her looking up information on how to do this. Right. So basically we're supposed to believe, like you said, that she just came up with this idea and set it all up and just did it in yeah. a matter of an hour or two. Because yeah. they did say um, that they believe that her time of death was sometime between 1 and 3 in the morning. Right. So she just listened to that voicemail at 12.50 a.m. Um, Gets so upset. Right. And makes this plan. And just does it. And if you see, like, the diagrams of how this was or even the reenactments that we watched, um, you would see that – it was really quite elaborate. I mean, the way that they had the rope tied around the bed and like just all these different things, it was, it would have easily taken her a good a amount of time take, yeah. right, to even set this up. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I don't think there was no evidence that she was suicidal or depressed or had right. ever experienced anything like that in her yeah. history. So uh, it's hard for me to make, yeah. you know, it's hard for me to go from, oh, she, you know, got really grief stricken and killed her, you know, and just did that. I don't, I don't think so. Well, another thing that was mentioned is typically when somebody hangs themselves, they do it from something above them. And this is a huge house. There's obviously there was a huge chandelier. I'm sure the ceilings are high. There's more options there than most houses, I guess. So to throw yourself off a balcony isn't really typical at all of what somebody would do. I mean, you've, I, I don't even... I don't understand how you'd get to like be like, oh, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. That doesn't make any sense. That's right. bonkers. Like you said, it's just – it's too elaborate, like yeah. you said. I mean, and really, I don't have the exact statistics, but I've read before and, you know, looked up information before on um, the different ways. Basically, there are statistics and women typically do not commit suicide in a violent fashion like that. Right. Um, it's usually more along the lines of like overdosing right. or something less – painful really you know women are not i don't want to say that they're too chicken to do do that but basically that's what the like studies have shown that women just don't really have that they're not able to do that you know i think that and um i've read that um women typically don't want somebody to find them in these not necessarily they still consider what's going to happen when somebody comes to find me whereas some men might not do the same thing but women are thinking somebody's going to come in here and I don't want to make it terrible for them, too. Right. So there was actually some more evidence that was found at the scene um, that is not really talked about as much in this case. I had to do a little deep digging to find this um, because it's kind of very much been pushed under the rug, in my opinion. Um, But they found blood and a clump of hair in the bathroom and a latex glove that had mixed DNA in, in the room. Um, they also found a pair of women's underwear and some more clumps of hair in the guest house where, um, Adam was staying. So not our boy, Adam. Right. And Adam and Rebecca were the only two on, you know, on the mansion property. On campus. (laughs) There were only two on campus. Like, yeah. So I guess what that would mean is that at some point she either went over to the guest house willingly or not Not willingly. Not willingly, yeah. Um, but there was, like I said, underwear and more hair. I didn't – it didn't say it was her hair. I'm assuming it was. Otherwise, what I read – they wouldn't have mentioned it. Yeah. Um, and um, the other interesting thing is that they did not find Rebecca's DNA on the balcony that she supposedly jumped from. Right. So – Check uh, out these pictures because they <laughs> they kept pointing to, like, these dusted 
prints and like how dirty. I never saw a clear picture no. of what they were seeing. They're like, and then there's a footprint here and then. I, I like, know. I'm like, where? Huh. <laughs> Maybe my life is just so dusty and dirty that everything looks normal to me, but I couldn't see anything. Right. <laughs> so there was some other, um, so there was another interesting thing that Melissa doesn't want to talk about, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it's very relevant. <laughs> you can talk about it. But, bring it. <laughs> um, Adam Shackney actually told detectives initially that he had spent the morning before he found Rebecca hanging, allegedly, um, looking at some bondage-type pornographic material on his cell phone. So what are the odds of that, that he yeah. admits that he's watching this, like, bondage porn and then wow she's found bound and gagged and supposedly hung like that's a little bit too much of a coincidence for me well you know what i was just thinking about so this is west coast right and he's coming from memphis tennessee he finds her at 6 48 in the morning what is that in tennessee like 3 48 yeah why is he awake why would he like his body would not be acclimated to this so it's really strange to me that he's just like Oh, I should get my morning coffee and start And just go strolling around. Right. I always thought the time that he found her was really, really weird too. Yeah. Um, And we didn't mention that after he gets off the phone with 911 and has like a spat with the 911 operator, he texts Jonah to say- Oh, by the way, your girlfriend committed suicide. Uh, Sorry, a lot going on, but your girlfriend killed herself. What? That doesn't make sense. That, (laughs) I know we've gotten into like a culture of texting, but I feel like- Finding a dead body is worth a call. At, at their home. Yeah, at like, their home. But this isn't just like, oh, this happened, you know, down the street. This is at your house, and right. I'm going to text text you yeah. and say... We know he can use a phone. He just called 911. Right. He doesn't do great. And he, he knows that it. his brother is at the bedside of his son, who right. is, you know, critically injured and, you know, is or, possibly not going to make it, has not died yet at this point. Right. But um, it like, just seems odd to send yeah. a text message Or like for a that. text like... Call me when you have a chance. Something like Like I need you to step out and... (laughs) That's information you want delivered, you know, at least with a human voice on the other end. Um, One thing I found kind of interesting is Jonathan's... um, What he said to the press or whatever, what he... His comments were about his... uh, About Max and Rebecca. He said, uh, quote, Max was an extraordinarily loving, happy, talented, and special little boy. He brought joy to everyone who knew him and we will miss him desperately. Now, Rebecca, who he's been in love with for two years, he says, Rebecca, too, was a wonderful and unique person who will always have a special place in my heart. What? I mean, I just feel like there's no, like, emotion. I feel like he's done with her. Like, does that sound like somebody you love? I mean, it's just hard to say because at this point, like, they don't really know the full details of what happened to Max. And then, of course... I think it would be hard as a parent to not hold the adult in charge responsible if your child is critically injured, yeah. you know, on and under suspicion. their care. Right. Yeah. And especially because then you had the one guy coming out and saying that they thought he was potentially suffocated before. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, well, what's going on here? Like, what, right. did, you know, did you do something to my son before, you know? Yeah. So it's almost one of these bizarre, like, you know, did was Max's death like intentional and then staged to look like something else. And then now we have this happen with Rebecca and it looks like it could be staged to be something what, you know, other than what's being reported. And so it really is a very, very bizarre case with a lot of twists and turns and, um, 
you know, you could go, like I said, down the rabbit hole. There's a ton of Reddit threads. All the web sleuth are all on top of this case. Yeah. And, um, we found a new one today with like 4,000 links and I was stressed how we were going to get Right. And I, yeah, I sent it to her this afternoon and I was like, uh, I found this is a new thing we haven't looked at yet. I just had to close my browser and say, I have enough information. Yeah. I, can't, <laughs> I cannot even take any more in. <laughs> um, so one thing uh, we didn't talk about is after all this happen, Adam actually was given a polygraph test. And I'm used to polygraph tests from like Maury, where you just see somebody <laughs> and they like ask a question and they give a thumbs up or thumbs down, but they're not interactive <laughs> with the person at all. Right. So, um, so he was not the baby's daddy, but, um, so anyway, so during this, I had to look again to see, is this actually the polygraph test? Because the guy's literally giving the exam but before this he's talking to him like oh um man what do you think happened do you think she committed suicide and he's like yeah absolutely when I saw it I thought suicide and I'm thinking aren't these kind of leading questions or like what business is it of yours just pull up your machine hook things up and and I thought they were supposed to be yes or no right like if you start talking and telling a story of course like it was like the conversation before so it's not actually the convert like the questions but on they I they had to have edited it, but you know you normally hear like a baseline question. Is your name Adam? Yes, no. Um, so they asked him some questions and he said to um, Adam at the end, he said, Well, it's not a great it's not great and it's not the worst. It's inconclusive. So we don't really know. And and you know, to me, like, okay, well, I know polygraphs aren't hundred percent, but like let's look a little bit more at Tugboat Captain over here, because what is he doing? <laughs> like, why? Right. What does he have to lie about? Right. Really? I mean. And there has to be some statistic out there, too, <laughs> about. To there ha- there's a statistic for everything. Yeah. But there has to be some legitimate statistic and study done on, like, the percentage of times that the person who finds the body and calls it in is actually the one right. who's responsible. It's like an arsonist going back to a fire. Right. Like, so, to me, you know, Adam... There's pretty incriminating evidence against him, if you ask me. Please um, never contact us. Please don't tell him we talked about him. Nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but because there was another actually interesting thing that from those um, reenactments that we had discussed that um, they had done to determine basically if it was if certain things were possible to actually have happened. Right. If she if the death happened the way that they're saying it did, that she right. jumped off the balcony on her own accord. Um, but as I mentioned before, the um, rope was anchored to a bed in the room. And right. um, it oh, was yeah. a decent-sized bed. It was either a full or a queen. Um, and in the actual scene, crime scene, if you will. Scene. <laughs> in the scene. I don't know. I don't know how to describe scene, it. You got it. In the actual crime scene, mm-hmm. um, the bed was only moved maybe a few inches. And so they could tell that because, you know, whenever you have a bed on carpet, that there'll be like an indentation, right. you know, on the floor where the four posts were. And so they could tell that the bed had been moved slightly, mm-hmm. which of course isn't really that surprising. That's what you would expect if the weight of a body was you know, right. Attached to it and thrown off. Exactly. Um, so they did kind when they did the reenactment, they used a weighted bag, like a punching bag or a boxing bag or whatever you want to call it. A punching bag. We don't know. Sure. I'll go punch it. (laughs) And they had it set of course to the same way roughly as Rebecca. Right. And they tied, um, tied the rope around a bed, 
set the scene, you know, just like they were reenacting it and um, threw this bag off the balcony from varying heights. They had done it where it was like, oh, if she had just like stepped over or yeah. if, if someone had actually thrown her over, they tried it several different ways. Yeah. Well, each and every single time um, that they did this, the bed that the um, rope was attached to actually jerked more like several feet. Right. So um, it is a little strange that in the real case, um, the bed was only moved a few inches. So, you know, like I said, I feel like everything is kind of pointing to the fact that, um, this was not a suicide. Um, you know, and of course her family insists that she never would kill herself, which everybody's family will. They always, if it's questionable, right. Yeah. Um, typically. Right. I mean, but at least if there's ever any signs of anything like that, you would, you know, you usually will hear the parents say, oh, well, you know, when she was a teenager, she suffered with, you know, this, that, and the other. But um, there was nothing like that. They were very insistent that she would have never done that. She had actually spoken to family members and made, uh, you know, plans for not too far in the future, but like for the following coming weeks and, you know, basically carried on as if there was, she wasn't planning on ending her life at that point. So, um, like I said, I just, I don't know about Adam. I just. Well, his, another thing, food for thought, his DNA was nowhere on the rope that he supposedly cut her down from. So if he's cutting her down from the rope, there's going to be something right. there. But if you're using gloves to kind of set this whole scene, you might not remember, take the gloves off, take the knife, cut it. So how, <laughs> how, how do you cut somebody off and your DNA is not nowhere around? Right. And, um, honestly, even if he didn't use, like you would think that if he was really trying to stage this whole thing, saying that he cut her down would be the perfect excuse to have your his DNA, DNA on yeah. her body. So that way actually you would have your tracks. I feel like even more covered just in case you did mess up somewhere, you would you say, to kill somebody here. Right. You know, <laughs> right. I know I get myself into a lot of trouble yeah. with these types of conversations. Um, but, but yeah, there was no, none of that. And so basically though, the whole place, aside from those few, uh, pieces of evidence that I mentioned a little bit ago, um, pretty much the whole crime scene though was free of a lot of DNA. Yeah. So, um, that to me says that somebody took a lot of care in doing this and, you know, maybe did a quick sweep of the place and tried to, you know, get rid of any evidence and, you know, something like this especially with the blows to the back of the head, um, it would be a quick thing. It doesn't necessarily mean there was a struggle that you would see a lot of different things. There was a chair, I think, overturned in the bedroom, um, which, you know, some argue that that is a sign of a struggle. Although one tipped over chair... Look at my house. Yeah. I, <laughs> seriously, I can't Share say. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And if she's like going to kill herself, does she really care if she leaves the room in disarray? It's right. whatever. You know, that right. doesn't really make any sense to me. But um, also, uh, I, I don't think we talked about this. Dina's sister, Nina, right. apparently showed up to the house that night, knocked on the door. Nobody answered. She left. So... As this kind of goes forward, the family of Rebecca decides to file a wrongful death suit and names Dina, Nina, and Adam as the defendants, I guess. Right. How does that work? Right. Um, so, and suing them for several million dollars. I think 10. 10, yeah. I mean, any million dollars is right. a lot of million dollars. But um, so, um, so they were all on the family's radar. They were all people who benefited in a way, I guess, from Rebecca's death. 
I'm not entirely sure the husband, please don't tell anybody, I tell him I told you this, but I'm not entirely sure the husband wasn't so upset he asked for help or I don't know. I don't know what I think. Well, I never know what I think. I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's very clear right now that I think Adam murdered her. Yeah. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. I just think the evidence points to that strongly. I don't see how the, the evidence that they have has been basically written off as irrelevant. I think it's all worth looking into. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense why you would just say that none of these things are important to take note of when clearly they are. Um, now, tinfoil hat time. As we said, um, Jonah is a very, very rich man. So you never really want to think of like things being bought with money, but right. it happens, folks. All the time. Yeah, I wouldn't happens. know. I don't have enough money to bribe anyone into no. anything. But when you're talking $17 million <laughs> income in one year, mm. you're kind of in the ballpark where you might be able to pay yeah. some people to um, kind of turn their backs on certain things. Yeah. I did read um, when he was doing renovations on his house earlier in the, a few years before maybe, he was donating to a lot of campaigns to – um, get special permits and stuff for his house. Don't know if that's true. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> um, so, you know, money equals power, unfortunately. So um, I don't know. I think it, it it doesn't make sense to just say we're, we're done looking here. There's too many things that don't add up. Right. Um, so I think that um, I don't think Rebecca was ever hanging off the balcony. I think that the evidence doesn't point to that at all. I think that that was a complete setup. And like I said, the only person who supposedly saw her hanging was Adam himself who yeah. then cut her down. So when the paramedics got there, she was already on the ground. Right. And then especially with the um, second autopsy revealing that her injuries really weren't even consistent with a hanging death, I think that pretty much sealed the deal for me that the whole hanging was fake and she never was hanging at all. Um, and that would explain why the bed wasn't moved a lot yeah. and why her DNA wasn't found on the balcony. And it kind of explains several things that are, you know, questionable yeah. about the evidence of this case. I also saw pictures, not of her, but kind of a recreation, but showing where the blood actually pooled into her legs, not pulled, but pooled. Uh -huh. Um, so if you're hanging upside down, right, your feet are hanging, blood's rushing to your head. So for you to have when you're found dead and to be black and blue, really from all the blood pooling, hopefully my Southern accent's not coming out too much, but, um, that, that doesn't add up. Right. It, it would be the opposite. Right. I don't know, Melissa. <laughs> this we case, have no idea. No, we have no clue. We're so professional here. We've we have to solve one crime. I'm very disappointed in <laughs> We just don't have time for solving them. Yeah. We just talk about them. <laughs> so, you know, I did, basically say what my theory was and it's kind of an that's pretty much as the one that it's one of the ones that I had read um on Reddit and on these different sites you, you know you can't cite Reddit as a credible source you can't you can't you, for if you're talking about <laughs> theories you can't yeah. <laughs> these people know what they're talking about when, when they're talking about theories yeah um, so you know like I said I think the type of knots that were used the fact that she was tied behind her back um really the whole manner of death yeah. I just it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I don't believe for one second she killed herself. I think that she was murdered. I do have questions about why or who was involved. Yeah. Or, you know, any of that. Um, but I guess we'll never know. And the yeah. case is pretty much closed now because yeah. they've ruled that it was a suicide. And yeah. 
you know? Well, the family's case, like I said, it went from Nina, Dina, Hickory, and Doc, and Adam <laughs> um, to being just Adam. So in April of this year, the family dropped Nina and Dina. Oh, I'm so sick of saying that. From the lawsuit. So they said that, I guess, cell phone pings showed that the sister was at a different house during the time this would have happened. And that the mom, Nina, she was, she on was at, the, at the hospital. hospital. Yeah. Right. So um, so they weren't actively involved. But, um, but that doesn't account for Adam. Yep. And like I said, he was the only one there. So. Yeah. So I think, you know. Those are our theories. We'd love yeah. to hear your theories. Yeah. What if anybody heck? has any insight or thinks of anything that could have possibly happened, we'd love to hear it. Yep. So anyway, um, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we actually have a few promos for you guys to listen to. I hope you've been enjoying the promos we've had. There are a lot of great people we found in the podcast world, and we're interested. Um, we'd love for you to hear some new shows that's how i always find out about shows on podcasts through other podcasts talking about them it's a giant circle so i hope you have a good week hope mandy feels better yes i hope for everyone's sake that i have my normal voice back yeah. next time. <laughs> have a good night take care bye-bye hello hi this is georgia and kate from nothing rhymes with murder join us on a global journey of murder yes every week we go to a new country and find a true crime gem as well as some fun hotspots to visit. So remember, kids, life is a journey. Don't let murder stop you. Okay, bye. All right, bye then. Bye. <laughs> bye. Hey, true crime fans. Have you listened to Wine and Crime yet? We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime. Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, Crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or let's be real, three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Cheers! Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.